When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's hard having a new baby, regardless of whether you have one or two or three. Um, I think a lot of those differences and a lot of the struggles are kind of magnified. That was Dr. Susan Wentz on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are three clinical psychologists committed to cutting-edge, integrative, and evidence-based strategies for living well. On this podcast, we bring you ideas from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. I am Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. We hope this podcast offers you ideas for how to live a full and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Yael. I'm so excited to join you today to talk about our episode on parenting with multiples. So on this episode, I am joined by Dr. Susan Wentz, who um, is a colleague of mine from Brown, although she moved on to Lafayette College, and I'd actually lost touch with her. And then about a year ago, some of her work was featured in NPR, um, looking at some of the unique challenges of parenting multiples. And so I reached out to her to ask her to come on, and I was so excited to get her wisdom, both from a research and a personal perspective, because she is the parent of twins. Yeah, I loved hearing about her personal experience and also just hearing her being so validating about the challenges of being a parent of young kids. I don't have twins or triplets or anything. I had two single kids and I still found this interview so validating. I wished I would have had it when my kids were little because it's just, you know, it's it's helpful advice, but also just so validating to hear about some of the challenges with sleep deprivation and feeling overwhelmed at times, that it's really solid advice, but it's even more at its extreme form when you have more than one at a time. And I just, you know, my hat is tipped to those of you who are listening who have twins or other multiples because it's double, probably more than double the work and the, you know, the challenges. So I just so appreciated her kind, reassuring, helpful words on the topic. Yeah, I thought she offered great advice for parents of multiples that parents of singletons can really use too, because parenting multiples really is just parenting on steroids in a sense. So we hope that those of you who have parents of multiples or those of you who are parents at all, or those of you who know parents get a lot out of this interview. I have with me today um, Professor Sue Wentz, who I actually have a long history with. We postdoc together at Brown University way back when. And um, since then, Sue has moved from Brown and is now at Lafayette College. And we have actually lost touch, so I'm excited to hear a little bit more about what she's doing at Lafayette. And then we're going to spend today talking about some of her research on parenting multiples. But Sue, can you start us off with talking a little bit about what you're doing at Lafayette now? Yeah, sure. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Uh, So I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm an assistant professor at Lafayette College. Um, I have a lab at Lafayette, uh, the Mood Processing and Treatment Lab, uh, and we do research on Uh, mood disorders, cognitive and emotional processing in depression and bipolar disorder, Um, then also uh, related um, to that, uh, but sort of a a, a sort of separate line of research is um, my interest in in perinatal mental health, in particular among uh, parents of multiples. Yeah, so what is so cool about that line of work is that it comes directly out of your personal experience being the parent of identical twins. And I wanted to share a quick story of between Sue and I that happened way back when she and I were both pregnant at the same time. 
And I, she disclosed her pregnancy to me at a professional conference that we went to. And then we came back and we both worked in the same hospital. And I have this very vivid memory of coming, um, of going to one of our uh, colleagues and friends' offices and coming out and, and bumping into Sue in the hallway. And she looked like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> and I said to her, Sue, are you okay? What's going on? And she said to me, I just came from an OB appointment there's two. <laughs> and you just looked so in shock. And I remember giving you a hug and saying, it's going to be okay. And you saying, I don't know what we're going to do about our car. It doesn't fit two babies. <laughs> and and I, it's so fun to sort of come back together with you and talk about parenting with multiples, given that initial real, sort of realization and disclosure that you were going to have multiples that happened, what, nine and a half, 10 years ago? Well, 10 years ago, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, what had happened is um, I had had, so we were going with this very crunchy, sort of holistic, no intervention sort of approach to pregnancy. And so we didn't, I had had one previous prenatal appointment very early, five and a half weeks. And they said, yes, you're pregnant. It's a little early. We'll see if we can see a heartbeat. Um, we don't want to, you know, do too much sort of messing around or anything. Found a heartbeat and let me go. And um, I went about my life and went in for what I was thinking was going to be my second really and sort of final prenatal visit. We're interviewing doulas and touring the alternative birthing center um, to find out if it's a boy or a girl at, by that point, like 18 and a half weeks. And she <laughs> immediately, she puts, you know, the little sonogram one on my belly and pulls it back. And she was like, oh, you had that first ultrasound really early, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And I'm kind of like adjusting my shirt and stuff and thinking, I, I just told her that. I wonder what she's, and she said, cause there are two. And I'm like, two what? <laughs> there are two babies. And I was like, no, there's not. <laughs> she said, yes, there are. And I look at my husband and he is like staring at the ultrasound monitor. And I look over and there is like, I'm not an ultrasound technician, but clear as day, two tiny little skulls on the screen. And I was like, um, I don't understand what's going on. And then I went to sort of a different space in my head where circus music sort of started playing. And I was kind of just not present for a little while, but it was, it was a real shock. Um, and it was a very different experience that point on in the pregnancy to what it had been beforehand. It, it becomes very medicalized very quickly when you find out you're having multiples. Yeah. So, and and how, what was that transition like for you? I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that go un, under-described or undiscussed for parents of multiples. But given that you are on the crunchier side and that you had been hoping for a non-medicalized pregnancy I mean, what, what was that transition like for you? So, and I should start by saying we had great, even as it became more medical, we had great care. We, you know, we were living in Rhode Island at the time, great care at my doctor's office, great care at the hospital. They let us continue to have a midwife involved, but, um, you know, they said you, you need an obstetrician. Um, you need a referral to a maternal and fetal medicine clinic, um, identical twins, which they um, quickly identified that was what was going on. That's a little higher risk than, than dizygotic twins or fraternal twins for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, so they really want to monitor that closely. Uh, you know, they said you can't, you can't deliver in the alternative birthing center. Um, you, know, you can have a doula if you want, but you're going to deliver in an operating room. There's going to be, you know, 20 people there. You got to have a nurse, this kind of nurse for this baby and this kind of nurse for the other baby. And it just was very, um, you know, and here's all these health risks that all of a sudden we, we need to start monitoring you for. And of course, you know, it is a high risk pregnancy. You do want to be monitored for those things, but it was sort of night and day compared to this sort of natural low intervention. The body will take care of itself sort of, um, mindset that we'd had beforehand. Yeah. And I'm I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share a little bit about your parenting twins experience, and, and we'll talk more about this as, as we get deeper into the conversation, but what have you noticed is different in having twins compared to friends who are parents of singles? Um, 
I, so I will say, so our twins are now nine and a half or almost nine and a half. So, um, you know, at this point there's, there aren't huge differences really. Um, but in the early postpartum period, they can be really striking. I mean, um, you know, I think it's hard having a new baby, regardless of whether you have one or two or three. Um, I think a lot of those differences and a lot of the struggles are kind of magnified. Um, so, you know, the biggest one that comes to mind for us, for me, um, for both of us really was the, the sleep deprivation was really, really brutal. Um, you know, I, I, we, we were a hot mess basically, (laughs) you know, the first year or so, um, you know, we've, we've, I've actually done some qualitative work in this area fairly, um, recently we have a um, study coming out, um, in January of 2020, uh, summarizing this study. And, you know, a lot of women spoke to this point, my experience too, like, you know, for the first few weeks, literally somebody was awake in the household, at least one person all the time, 24 hours a day. Um, so it's, that's really tough. Um, the, you know, I think there are other things that come up, like, um, you have to choose which baby to attend to if they're both crying and both need the undivided attention to one of one adult, and there's only one of you. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do, uh, especially in the immediate postpartum period when they're so tiny, you know, and you basically have to tell one potentially premature <laughs> in the case of twins a lot of the time, like baby, you ha- you have to wait. I can't, you need to sit there crying because I need to care for this other baby. That's a very, that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. Um, there are logistical things too that stood out for me in that early time point. Like I remember going out in the winter um, with the double snap and go, which is like this extra long, you know, stroller that you put the two car seats into and it was winter in Providence. And I literally couldn't get it around the corner on the sidewalk. Um, I was just trying to get out of the house and have a break because it was too long and the shoveled sidewalk, like the turn was too tight. So I just backed up and went home, (laughs) you know, there there are elevators, like you can't, stroller doesn't fit in the elevator, um, those kinds of things. Um, you know, I think you get one thing that came up a lot for me that I didn't realize was fairly universal until I started doing research in this area is the attention and the intrusive questions you sometimes get in public, um, you know, uh, about, um, are they natural? Did you have IVF? Does infertility run in your family? Uh, are you breastfeeding? How do you do that? Um, did you, you know, how did you deliver? Um, you know, and it's like, lady, I'm operating on three hours of sleep. Try to get a loaf of bread. Like, please don't ask me about my ovaries or my breasts right now. I'm just trying to get through, you know, I'm just trying to get through Trader Joe's. Um, but that can be that can be tough to navigate too. Um, some women have told me stories of people stopping them and touching their babies in public or taking pictures of them. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are some of the things that come to mind. Again, yeah. less of an issue now at nine years old, but right, right. Yeah. I mean, as you're describing, I mean, I have many thoughts, but one of the things that I was thinking as you were talking is this issue of so we're sort of like wired to respond to our infants. Because it's sort of for survival, but it's like it's like a biological imperative when your newborn cries that you need to attend to them. But with two, as you're saying, you can't, and and how just you know painful, emotionally painful, and maybe even physically painful that would be. And I do think it's an interesting thing to also think uh, to sort of reflect on the level of intrusiveness that happens for a lot of parents with babies, but how much more heightened it is with two, because it is so cute to see two little babies and, but, and people feel like they want to participate, but as a mom, especially as a mom or parent with um, so little sleep, you just, you need boundaries and space and you might not have the wherewithal to create it kindly, but I think it's a nice thing to sort of just be aware of for the general public that, you know, to, to give people space when they have young, young babies, especially too, because they're probably sleep deprived. (laughs) (laughs) Not operating with the, with the, with the best mindset, definitely. On the other hand, I was curious if you might 
talk a little bit about the benefits or positive surprises about being a parent to multiples. You know, in those in that first instant where I saw you in in the shock of having twins, they weren't forefront at your mind, but I I imagine at this point you're able to kind of identify some of the things that you might not have anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So again, a, a bunch of things come come to mind. I think um, one of the best things was that it was really from the get go a total fifty fifty team parenting approach between my partner and I. And you know, Rob is the kind of partner and the kind of guy where I'm sure he he would have been as involved as he could have been um, if we had had a singleton or two singletons. But the necessity of him really being there and able to do everything alongside me and being able to handle them both at once um, from early on really was, although it was stressful <laughs> on us um, and our partnership, uh, certainly at times, it also um, definitely kind of uh, made us a better team and made him kind of a more happy, confident, involved parent, even in that early postpartum period where mom kind of needs to be on a little bit more because she's, you know, she's the food source. Um, He was, he was there. And so that, that to me kind of, I think was the biggest um, positive surprise. Uh, Well, and, and that's, kind of cool because, you know, what we know from research is that having babies can cause a a dip in marital satisfaction. And Mm -hmm. one would imagine that almost inherently having two babies would cause a greater dip. But what you're saying is there's this possibility of creating a sense of a stronger alliance because Mm -hmm. you both just really need to be available to each other to respond to the babies. And can you can you say a little bit about what you found in your research with um, parents of multiples and, and what is that a common experience? Yeah, I, I think it is. So we see sort of this double-edged sword where um, we see increased rates of parenting stress. And some people in some of our research definitely said this has put, you know, a huge strain, a bigger strain on our marriage than when we had our previous singleton, that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of women instead said, or at the same time said, this has also brought me closer together. So it's really stressful and it's really hard, but it's brought us closer together because my partner is not only doing more than I think they might have otherwise, um, but they also get it more. Like they know what it's like to be operating on, you know, such little sleep or to be multitasking and kind of not not have time to to think much less like shower or do the laundry or something like they they get it in a way that I'm not sure they would otherwise so it's it's it simultaneously seems to be more stressful um but also potentially you know have this possibility of of kind of kind of um, bringing you closer together and and making you feel a little bit more like a team you're tackling a really challenging thing together yeah i could definitely see that so um, your research dives into a lot of the um, mental health support and, and treatment of parents of multiples. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to just uh, give our listeners a little bit of a background on that. So one, one of the things that um, we know is that multiples, multiple births are rising or actually have risen. I think you actually sent me a recent article. Can you talk a little bit about sort of where the rates are at? Yeah. So there's certainly... Um, they're certainly still in the stage that a lot of people are referring to this as sort of like, it's a, it's a public health issue and it's kind of, some people refer to it as an epidemic um, of multiple. Very pathologizing. (laughs) Yeah, right. I know. (laughs) Um, But there, there was uh, something published. I actually haven't taken a look at the, at the primary source article, but there was a um, uh, study communicated in the, Washington Post, yeah, I think, um, recently, just a week or so ago, saying that for the first time in many decades, from 2014 to 2018, the rate of multiple um, gestation pregnancies and births actually dipped a tiny bit. Um, so it's still way higher than it was, say, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, but it, it has seemed to decline a little bit. And we, and it seems to be what's going on is that um, because a lot of multiple gestation pregnancies um, 
are a result of or, or stem from assisted reproductive technology is that as that technology is getting better, there's less of a need to maybe implant multiple embryos um, because the single embryo that we can implant at this time is more viable. So that seems to be what's accounting for that, but it's still quite high. <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, what you were describing when you had that first appointment where they were telling you, oh, there's two in there and you need a lot of a lot more medical support than you otherwise would have if it had just been one baby. Um, it is clear that parents of multiples are getting the information about the need for additional medical support, but not so much the mental health risks or the uh, mental health support that they might need. So I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about your research in this area and what it, what it helps us understand about what are the risks for depression, anxiety, um, sleep disturbance for mm -hmm. parents of multiples relative to parents of single singletons. So it's um, my first kind of, research jump into this area um, was to do a like a literature review of of what's been published looking at this question um, you know what what actually are the differences in rates of different mental health concerns among you know between parents of multiples versus singletons and the studies that have been published in that area vary really widely in their methodology so that makes it a little tough to draw sort of firm, concrete kind of across the board conclusions. Um, in particular, we look at moms, um, you know, some of the studies only include women who've conceived with assisted reproductive technology, or they look at, you know, depression at eight weeks postpartum, and another study looks at depression six months postpartum, and how do you compare those two and stuff. So with those caveats uh, in mind, what we have found is that there probably is evidence that um, mothers, and that's where the bulk of the research is, mothers of multiples um, tend to have elevated um, depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms, uh, parenting stress and general stress, sleep disruption problems uh, in the postpartum period. Um, there's less research looking at pregnancy, um, but some of those same trends seem to apply. Um, there does seem to be more consistent evidence for um, more severe mental health symptoms in the postpartum period for moms of multiples versus moms of singletons. Uh, this does hold when we compare um, moms of multiples to moms of closely spaced singletons, for example. So there is something unique about having multiples that seems to elevate risk. Um, seems to be more likely when your twins are your first babies, you haven't been a parent before, um, if you're low income, uh, if you're single. Um, we also see... Uh, yeah, so those are all kind of factors that would just reduce your resources to deal with the stressors of having exactly. two babies. Exactly. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Um, there's, there's no literature that's looked at same-sex partners, which is a real unfortunate gap in the literature because um, assisted reproductive technology is sort of broadly defined or one main way um, where same-sex couples may seek to have a baby. Um, and so with the associated higher rate of multiples, we would um, expect to see, you know, a, a um, that's a population we would probably want to look at. And there probably would be other, you know, unique experiences uh, that they would have that um, that would come into come into play and maybe impact rates of mental health symptoms or the treatment that they think would be most useful. Um, the little bit of literature that's looked at dads then um, has, be, has been a lot more consistent actually, even than, than the literature that's looked at moms. Um, and there, there the literature is pretty clear that dads, unfortunately in multiples, pretty much across the board in all published studies do have elevated rates of depression and anxiety and stress postpartum. And again, that seems to circle back to the issue we were talking about before where they're more involved, right? They're more likely to be up in the middle of the night. They're yeah. more likely to be, you know, going to the doctor's appointments, reading up on information, kind of um, doing the work that is is hard and may may elevate mental health symptoms, but again, at the same time, more involved means more competent, more confident, um, enjoying parenting more. Yeah, it really is that double edged sword. And I, exactly. I mean, I always talk with patients about this in 
that I see that how important sleep is for mental health, but it just seems like for parents of multiples, if mom isn't sleeping and dad isn't sleeping and that's happening for extended periods of time, it's, it's hard to imagine how you, how you could avoid any sort of level of depression or anxiety or just overwhelming stress because sleep is just so critical for us to function well. And it is so hard to grasp when you have two tiny babies. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's rough. We we had in in our qualitative study again the most recent work we've done um, in this area. Women saying things like it wasn't safe for me to be driving. Um, you know, I was hallucinating from lack of sleep. I you know I fell asleep standing up in the kitchen one time. It just all oh these God. stories of like it's it's not sort of safe for me to be, be up and about and functioning right now, but I have to. Yeah, it can be tough. Really tough. Um, so. One of the things that I think is kind of cool about the the way that mental health is getting more recognized and less stigmatized is that, you know, even when I had my three singletons, I <laughs> would regularly get asked by my various doctors, you know, how I was feeling and and they knew that I'm a, they knew that I was a clinical psychologist. They would say, you know, you know that the resources are available, but it's important that you take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really terrific thing, but when it comes to parenting multiples or being pregnant with multiples, the medical concerns are so much more significant that I kind of wonder, I mean, are you, from your research, um, what are the kinds of ways that physicians or other um, members of the medical community are sharing with parents of multiples about the risks that they might encounter in terms of the stressors or the different mental health symptoms they might experience and, and the kind of supports that are available? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And it, it's hard. Again, I don't, um, I certainly don't mean to um, place blame on the medical community here. It's, it's true. It's, it's a higher risk pregnancy. And all of a sudden, when you establish it's a multiple gestation pregnancy, there are higher rates of, you know, gestational diabetes and preeclampsia and help syndrome, et cetera, et cetera. And then these unique concerns that crop up, like twin to twin transfusion syndrome, um, you know, so they have to be, it, it is a more, um, medically intensive, higher risk pregnancy. But I think you're right that um, because there is so much more focus on those kinds of problems, the the mental health stuff sometimes gets... uh, gets overlooked a little bit. So one study that we did in this area it was kind of a just a, a one-off last-minute question, question that we added into our um, assessment battery, but we actually found that only a third of our respondents recalled having a healthcare provider ever raise with them during pregnancy the um, m- mental health um, support that they might need postpartum, the potential elevated rates of mental health symptoms that they might experience, you know, by, by virtue of having multiples, um, and sort of the importance of setting up support and looking for a support network um, ahead of time. It just it didn't come up in two thirds of the cases. Uh, so again, understandable, higher risk, higher medical risk pregnancy, but um, it would be great if we could. Um, maybe start devoting, you know, a little bit more attention um, to that uh, during, during pregnancy, I think, Um, or, you know, really integrating a focus on that into postpartum appointments, like right away, automatically. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the findings in in one of your studies that I, that you had sent me, um, which I just thought was sort of shocking is that only 9% of parents with multiples received support and nearly 50% were interested in getting support. Now, that's a really big gap between need and um, accessibility or, or availability. Right? And, and, and I guess that sort of raises the question, you know, what are the barriers? Yeah. Yeah. And so by support in that study, we, we were specifically asking about like mental health treatment. You know, d- did you receive any mental health treatment? Um, you know, if you didn't, would you have, were you trying to access mental health treatment or would you have liked, uh, you know, to have that treatment available? But yeah, 9% versus 50%, it's a big, um, it suggests a large unmet treatment need, right? Um, So we've found um, the biggest thing that people bring up here is lack of time. 
Uh, I, you know, I just, which makes a lot of sense. Right. Right. I just don't know, you know, I'm constantly putting out fires. Um, there's, you know, some women have phrased it as like, there's just literally never a moment in the day, um, getting out of the house. It sounds like a simple thing, but, um, you know, first of all, it feels hard and it's onerous, but, um, you know, many women have brought up and I can certainly empathize with this, that, uh, it's, um, there's, there's just less time logistically in between sort of the feed, burp, change, sleep cycle, you know, unless your multiples are exactly synchronized, which, you know, doesn't happen. <laughs> um, they, they can, they can, it can be such that you literally are just going from one to the next. And of course we're, you know, we're talking as if multiples means twins. Some people have triplets um, or beyond. And there's, there may literally never be a time that you can get out of the house if that doesn't last forever of course but um you know in the early postpartum stage and of course that's probably among the riskier time periods right exactly. if you're sort of going from one baby to the next with no time for yourself that may be a time where you might especially be in need of support or exactly. treatment and yet that's exactly the time that it's nearly impossible to get out of the house mm-hmm. i have this memory of some some video that was circulating on social media of a mom dressing her triplets and they were a little bit older so they were kind of on the move a little bit but she would sort of put a shirt on one and then as soon as she turned away to grab the pants it would like wiggle off the bed and like take off its diaper and it was hilarious you know on the one hand and also just really um, depicted the challenges of, of parenting multiples yeah. Because there's just so many bodies to take care of. And I mean, if they're not moving, they're probably, you know, still needing food and comfort. But once they're on the move, it doesn't necessarily get easier, at least for some period of time. Yeah, it's we used to call it whack-a-mole in our house. You know, it's like you meet one need and then like, you know, then this baby starts crying and you figure that out and the other one's crawled off and where did they go? And what's the in their mouth? <laughs> I lost track of Greta. Um, yeah. And, and you know, women also bring up um, logistical things here that, you know, I think we don't think about often. Like some people said, I can't find, you know, it's easy for me to find childcare for one infant but to find somebody who's kind of who's able to care for two infants again especially if their health needs you know these are higher risk babies often have health complications um i can't find somebody to watch two premature infants or infants you know with compromised health or i can't um you know i can't carry the weight of both car seats recovering from a c section i could do it with one baby but i can't carry that much weight with two so i don't know how to get out of the house by myself or to, you know, load up the stroller and get to a therapy appointment. Um, one woman even told us, you know, I had, um, I had a vaginal delivery for my first twin and C-section for the second. So I'm recovering from both at the same time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, so all these other kind of little logistical issues that, that maybe you don't think about come up and also make it hard to, to get traditional mental health, you know, face-to-face mental health care in an office. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're, you're in the business of doing treatment development research, and I know that that's a particular interest for you with this particular population. And so what kinds of things are you discovering would work better than traditional mental health support for parents of multiple? Yeah. So they're in, our last study that we did, there was a lot of interest, more than we expected, actually, a lot of interest in um, uh, e-health and mobile health strategies. So so any sort of technologically mediated or delivered or augmented or assisted mental health support. Um, You know, the, uh, we actually, we actually asked explicitly, this is the one sort of quantitative piece we got out of this most recent study for, you know, one to five Likert scale rating of if you could get mental health treatment right now, and then later on, okay, if you could get like this kind of support online, and it was significantly higher ratings for that second question. Um, people were are really quite interested in in like internet delivered mental health support as a modality, um, you know. And there's a lot of virtues to that sort of paradigm that that women have shared with us. So, um, you know, you don't have to get out of the house, right? Being one important logistical one. Um, you know, I could do this at two in the morning. I could do it in my PJs. I could literally be breastfeeding. I can have my babies on a tandem, you know, nursing pillow and um, reaching out for support. Uh, women often talk about the importance of connecting with um, 
other other um, parents who have multiples or um, getting care from somebody with that kind of expertise. So a nurse or psychologist or, um, you know, mental health counselor with expertise in and familiarity with this population or, um, you know, sort of uh, older, more seasoned, more experienced um, twin parents or multiple parents uh, who kind of maybe have trained as peer support specialists and that that um, opening, accessing that kind of support, that specialized support is easier online than, you know, trying to find that um, face-to-face. And do uh, some of those kinds of resources already exist? So um, there there has been more of that availability, I would say. That kind of stuff didn't really exist when I had um, my girls. Uh, but in recent years, that's become more available. So um, there's a really good, or this, this doesn't help our American listeners, but there's a really good organization in the UK, um, TAMBA, the Twins and Multiple Births Association. Um, and they do um, a little bit of internet mediated support. They will, you know, um, send nurses to your home. Um, but that, that's a great organization. Um, Twiniversity is, is an organization here in the U.S. that uh, does some of that stuff, too. They've got some great resources. Um, but it's, it's in its infancy, no, no pun intended. <laughs> that kind of support really is sort of in its infancy, despite um, people really expressing uh, really positive feelings about it and a clear desire for that kind of support. Are there Facebook groups for parents of multiples that are, you know, large and growing and, and that parents of multiples find useful? So the, uh, the answer to some of those questions is yes, and some is no. So there, there is, um, I would say the largest organization of that kind of stuff in the U.S. is um, Multiples of America, also sometimes known as uh, the National Organization of Mothers of Twins Clubs. And um, again, uh, um, like they've assisted us with data collection things, very you know, positive things to say about them. Um, I think, interestingly, as some uh, kind of concurrent with some issues in, in larger issues in society right now, people are using Facebook a little bit less for those kinds of things. And so those, <clears throat> my, my sense is that those support groups online are actually have shrunk somewhat mm-hmm. um, in, in recent years. Um, but that is an organization that they have lots of local chapters around the country and um, most of them have some sort of online presence. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to give us a little bit of your advice based on both your research and <laughs> personal experiences. So what, what kind of advice would you now give a parent who had just discovered, who, who was sort of in that <laughs> shock phase, that they're going to have multiples? Um, well, so first get a hug from your friend Yael and have her tell you <laughs> you <be> okay. <laughs> She's available for hugs. Just She's email available. us. <laughs> um, so I would say, you know, a few things. I think get get as much, um, sort of enlist as much help ahead of time as you can. Um, and uh, don't be afraid to tell people what to do and what you're going to need from them. You know, concrete um, concrete things like I, I am going to need, we're going to need meals, you know, we're going to need a dinner for the first like three months and, and whatever you, advice you're getting for a single ten, like make that longer, um, for multiples. Um, you know, can someone take an overnight shift? Um, can somebody come by for an hour every other day so that I can try to get a quick nap in that kind of thing? Like actually create a schedule if you can. Um, if it's possible to take additional time off from work, um, do that. Uh, starting to create a support network of other parents of multiples um, when when you're pregnant is is super important. That uh, time and again, again from my personal experience and what we found in our research, that is just really crucial for people. Um, you can find that in person, you can find that online, um, but that's it's really helpful to have that, especially somebody who's had older multiples and can help guide you and sort of normalize, like, this is really tough, you're going to get through it. Um, You know, and I think, I think the biggest piece of advice, though, is like, it's, it's going to be hard. And you are going to get through it. And it's going to be, it's going to be okay, it's going to get better and better. I mean, one thing I think that um, 
I noticed even in the moment in those early postpartum months, really through the first two years is one nice thing about having multiples is it can be, it can be so tough at first that it really does for each week and each month that goes by, it keeps getting easier. You know, I, I, I feel like, um, every single thing that they can do for themselves and be a little bit more independent makes them happier and makes you happier. It's, it's less of a like two steps forward, one step back sort of thing. Like it, it just, it just keeps getting a little easier and um, it's time limited and you're going to get through it. I love that. It's, and, and just hearing sort of how you feel as with uh, being the parent of twins age nine and a half and sort of looking yeah. back and saying, you know, a lot of that, those things just don't apply to me anymore. Those challenges, which is yeah. not to say that parenting is not challenging, but right. some of the sort of, of twin specific things yeah. just don't feel as present. They in, don't. As, yeah. And I, you know, Rob and I talk about this sometimes. It sort of almost feels like cheating now. Like it's so, it's not just so much easier, but it's way easier than having kids of different ages, like way easier. I I don't know like how you do that with kids of different ages. You've got like different developmental stages and this one has to get to this sports practice and this one has this party and this one. And that doesn't, it doesn't really apply nearly as much when you have twins who are older, Yeah, Um, you know, and I'm curious too. So how, how do you feel, or do you have any suggestions as a parent to support a healthy sibling dynamic? Cause I, I guess, as you're saying that, like, is the assumption that your twins do all the same activities? Cause I'm sure they have different interests or at different phases will have different interests or different right. friends. And so some of those things that maybe even the younger years might be easier, but um, as a parent, like how do you support that healthy dynamic? And then how do you sort of support them in doing the same or different things? Right. Yeah, no, it, it's a, it's a very good question. There's um, here, I'm speaking much more from personal experience than the literature. Cause I, I think there, there is just sort of less literature on this, but you know, I think, I think the general suggestion, this has been our approach is to sort of let the kids guide you on this. Um, and to keep in mind, it's probably different for fraternal or sororal versus identical twins. Like, we don't view our kids as the same. Um, they, they definitely have some very clear differences between them, but at the same time, they are, you know, they share a hundred percent of their genes. And so it is kind of natural that they're going to have a lot of the same interests and personality traits and stuff. And to sort of force differences between them or force them to do different things also is sort of artificial and not super helpful. So we've, we've tried to let them take the lead, you know, um, they, uh, enjoy the same kinds of people. And so they tend to share friends. Um, they enjoy the same kinds of activities. And so they tend to gravitate towards the same things, but you know, they chose different instruments this year and that's great. We told them, you know, that we're fortunate to be able to live in a house where we have this choice. We said, you know, you guys want to share a room right now? As soon as you guys stop wanting to do that, we'll, we'll make that happen for you. You don't have to share your space. You're not the same person, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, um, it's a balancing act, but I, I, I think there's no sort of one, um, right answer for all families or for all sets of, of multiples, you know, there, and then there are other, there are other, you know, people in our circle of parents of multiples who have, um, twins, for example, who, get on each other's nerves a lot or really poke each other's buttons and they do have to make a more concerted effort to split them apart in school and put them in different activities and get them to have alone time and that sort of thing. So, you know, if those are, if those are the multiples you have, that's it. You need to listen to that and try to, um, you know, be true to that. Yeah. My, my father-in-law actually has twin sons who are fraternal and they're not only in different classes, they're in different schools <laughs> because wow. that's just what works better for yeah. them. Uh-huh. But you were saying to me a little bit before something, uh, before we started the recording, uh, something that I hadn't known, which is that by law, parents of multiples are allowed to ask a school to either put their children in the, their twins in the same class or in different classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, my understanding is that that is a state by state law, but that the last time I checked the vast majority of states, I don't quote me on this, but you know, it's like 44 or 45 out of the states have this law on the books where it's, it's ultimately up to the parents. Um, you know, and of course you'd want to make that choice probably in consultation with 
the teachers and the school principal and you know counselor whoever else happens to know them um but it but it is in most states ultimately up to the parents and sometimes parents don't don't know that um schools i've found sometimes not not all um you know staff in a school or teachers in a school necessarily know that um but it's it's a helpful you know it's a helpful piece of information to have because you may be in a situation there there is some evidence that um that twins do at least up to a certain point tend to do better in the same classroom unless there's a reason to separate them like um they get in trouble together or they're always talking or they're very dependent on each other or something a lot of twins kind of you know they really like their sibling and they want to they they do better they're less distracted when they sort of know where the other one is and that they're doing okay and if i know that then I can concentrate on math. That's very yeah. cute. It's very cute. I know. It's very cute. Well, um, that kind of brings up another question to mind, which is, and, and I know that you just have the twins, but given your research with parents mm-hmm. of multiples and given the bond that twins often have with one another, what do you know about how hard it is to parent multiples who have a singleton or, or multiple singleton siblings? So... I think what I have heard, and again, here, like you said, this is not my personal experience, but in the course of our research and in the course of, of making other, you know, making friends with other parents and multiples who, who have an older kid, um, the kind of themes that tend to emerge there are, I would say the most consistent thing that comes to mind is to try to um, involve the, the kid, the older sibling as early as possible, as much as possible to sort of enlist them as like you, you're, this is going to be a challenge we're taking on as a family, but you're an important part of this family and you know, you're bigger and you're older and you can help me and uh, you can come to doctor's appointments. And you know, there may be a time where like, maybe I'm feeding the babies and I need someone to go and get me a burp cloth or something. And I, I can't do it, but you can do that for me. So to try to enlist, um, you know, not to, I'm not talk about like child labor, put here, them to right? work, <laughs> put them to work, right. But no, to enlist them as like a really valued, important helper right away, um, can really make them feel like I'm bringing something here. And then as much as possible also, of course, you know, recognizing that it's stressful for everybody. It's going to be hard for, you know, for the older kid too. wherever you can carve out time for that older kid to um, get away with grandma alone or, uh, you know, to um, have a special play date that they go to every week or, okay, you know what, I'm, mom's going to take care of the babies and partner is going to, you know, go out every Saturday afternoon, take you to the park, something, something like that. Um, so that there's still that sort of special time set aside. Um, I have also, you know, we do have some friends who, for example, and again, if you're fortunate to be in a financial situation to do this, maybe like got a nanny for the babies or for the older kid, um, but not for all the kids together. Right. So that way there's some, some separation and sort of some special one-on-one developmentally appropriate, like attention. Exactly. Yeah. I love, I love all those suggestions. So not only do we need to sort of pay attention to the other siblings of twins or multiples, um, but we also need to pay attention to ourselves. So I was just curious, I mean, how, what do you recommend for self-care? So how, and more generally, like how does self-care differ for parents of multiples? Yeah. Um, I think it's, you have to be a little creative. (laughs) Again, this is, it's a time limited thing, right? Um, But if we're talking about the early postpartum period, it's tough. There are things um, that maybe are accessible if you have a singleton or, you know, multiple singletons. Um, So like in the course of our research, I had a woman say to me, you know, my gym is great. I love it. It has childcare, but you can't bring two infants. <laughs> so I can't go, I can't take care of that and exercises myself, my self care. Um, you know, somebody else who said, I try take them to a story time and there was like a one adult, to one kid ratio. And I was going to use that as time to just sort of veg out. So, you know, there's that sort of stuff. It's, it's tougher. Um, but you know, in terms of practical strategies, I would say, um, for me, honestly, the biggest thing was, um, and we got it for like 40 bucks at a consignment sale, a double jogging stroller. Like that was amazing. 
And I didn't even use it for jogging right away, but to be able to, in a comfortable way, like put the babies side by side into this sturdy stroller and just take a walk. Uh, Oh my gosh, that that was really, really important. And then ultimately when you're well enough and healed enough and the babies are old enough, um, you, you know, you can exercise with that. It's great. Um, you know, taking advantage of online or pre-recorded yoga or other exercise classes, um, books on tape, podcasts, things that you can listen to on adult topics, like not on child rearing, (laughs) not on parenting, but like something you actually want to listen to that if you both of your hands are occupied and you know, you're carrying two babies and bouncing on a ball and you know, trying to calm them down, but like you can still do that hands-free. Um, that's good. I think, you know, the other thing I did that was really helpful is for a good three years, the only thing I ever asked for for holidays or my birthday or mother's day were things like, could you chip in 15 bucks for me to go stay in a motel room by myself for a night? (laughs) Or could, you know, could I have, could you just come over for two hours? Like, I don't need a thing, but could you come over for two hours and I'm going to take a nap or a meal delivery service or laundry service? Um, Those kinds of things, you know, that's not, that time to me is not a time to like, get a new sweater, but it's, it's a time where if you give, if you give me an hour and a half to take a nap, (laughs) you know, or a contribution towards a a night in a hotel every four months, like that's, that's great. That's gold. (laughs) Gold. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our conversation has touched on sleep a lot and it just seems like for, especially in those early months, that self-care might be like, really asking for support to give you the time to get some shed eye that that's Mm -hmm. so important. Yeah. That's Um, well put. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. But I love all those other ideas and I feel like they could even apply to parents of singletons because who are also sleep deprived, but it's, you know, to engage in something that's of interest to you that is sort of low attention or uh, resource driven, mm-hmm. like an audiobook or a podcast. I, I love all of those ideas. And um, I also can speak to the value of having a stroller and putting a small child in it. And I used to love when my kids were young and I was very sleep deprived, but there was something so healing for me about going for a walk and getting a cup of coffee just mm-hmm. for myself and like yep. doing it quietly or listening to something on like an audiobook, yeah. um, that it was sort of time for me that I wasn't not attending to the baby, but I could really focus on just soothing myself or doing something that felt um, self-care like. Um, so I think that there's um, real value in that. Harder to do in the winter, but oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. Or Boston. Or Boston. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you so much for, for taking the time to share your wisdom and, and, um, and advice and personal experience with us. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me and for having me. Your show is, is great. When you invited me, I listened to a few other podcasts and I just got more and more excited to be on the show myself. So, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. Our website is www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com. Mm-hmm.